Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision making during a racial revolution and an election. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear as we keep you informed about Election 44, please subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of August 29th, including. All party platforms are out, for the most part. We'll dive into the liberal, conservative, and NDP plans on four key issues that are important to Black and allied millennials. The pandemic improves reading rates among the TDSB's Black student population? Oh, I wonder why. Hurricane Ida does serious damage. And Texas gets away with a crazy new abortion ban. Plus... Joining us today is friend of the drip, Christelle Francois, president of the Black Chamber of Commerce and founder of Untold and Co Agency, a public relations, digital marketing, and brand partnerships agency based in Toronto. Christelle is a bilingual executive leader and entrepreneur who has the pulse on the leaders of business, innovation, and advocacy. She has extensive experience as a strategy consultant, where she specialized in developing revenue models and implementing growth metric systems for various organizations. After seven years of private consulting, she launched Untold and Co-Agency, where she and her team service an array of clients in securing brand and government partnerships and executing 360 integrated digital campaigns. She most recently co-organized the 2020 Lobby Day Initiative with Canadian federal ministers. As a daughter of Haiti, she's passionate about civic engagement, innovation, and entrepreneurship, and we're so pleased to have her join us today. Bienvenue, Christelle, ça va? (laughs) Oui, ça va bien. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, guys. Excellent. Well, we, you know, we good over here, so (laughs) we're ready to set it off. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. To kick off our politics segment. So we just wrapped up the third week of election 44. We saw the Liberals finally release their platform while the NDP and Conservatives released theirs from earlier in the game. I know some people were also expecting the Liberals to stop their bleeding, but blood still I run. (laughs) Trusted poll aggregator 338 Canada shows the Conservatives in first place with 35% support and a 59% chance of winning the election if it were called today. The Liberals in second place with 31% support and a 41% chance of winning. The NDP in their third place holding steady at 20%. The PPC, the racist people, at 4% and fourth place. And then, unfortunately, enemies Greens limping along at 3%. And yet for most, the election still hasn't picked up steam yet, even though many people are acknowledging that affordable housing, cost of living, and overall the economy are on the minds of the people now. 
Maybe the looming English debate on September 9th will make things more real. In any event, you know we're here to keep you informed on what each party has to offer you. So today, with Christelle, we'll break down some of the key elements that are important to our demographic. So here's what we'll do. I'll lay out the issue, then I'll give you the raw commitments from each party, then we'll discuss our thoughts on them. I should also mention from the outset that the Liberal Party is the only party that has a fully costed platform by the PBO, and so what they have in their platform, if it's there, it is likely it's going to be implemented, whereas the other platforms, they still need to be costed. We still don't know how they would accomplish what they're saying. Christelle, since you're a president of the Black Chamber, it's only fitting to start with Black business supports. So let's take a look. Jumping to the Liberal plan. The Liberals say they'll swiftly implement the Black Endowment Fund, which is the $200 million fund that our friends at the Foundation for Black Communities extracted from the federal government. That fund, by the way, will provide financial support for Black-led organizations like us, the ACPL. They point to the first-of-its-kind Black Entrepreneurship Program that will provide loans of up to $250,000 to Black business owners and entrepreneurs across the country, too. They also provided support to Black-led not-for-profits so they can better serve our communities and offer mental health and wellness support, sports and fitness programs, and arts and culture programming, and they'll continue to do so. Jumping over to the Conservative Party, it's really interesting to note they have nothing specific for Black Canadians. However, considering that they do have a suite of small business supports, it's important that we note them. So their small business plan revolves around four major planks. First, they have the Canada Job Surge Plan. In it, they say they'll pay up to 50% of the salary of new hires for six months following the end of the Liberal government's implemented Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, or SUS. Second, they have their Canada Investment Accelerator, which they say will get companies spending money and creating jobs by providing 5% of investment tax credits for any capital investment made in 2022 and 2023, with the first 25000 to be refundable for small businesses. They also have their Rebuild Main Street tax credit, where they'll provide a 25% tax credit on amounts of up to $100,000 that Canadians personally invest in a small business over the next years, which they say will get money flowing into Main Street businesses and create jobs. So I guess he's forcing us to go to rich people to get funded, huh? Finally, they're offering a Main Street business loan program, providing loans of up to $200,000 to help small and medium businesses, particularly in hospitality, retail, and tourism, to get those businesses back on their feet with up to 25% forgiven. Jumping to the NDP plan. Unfortunately, there's nothing here for Black businesses in particular either. That said, like I did for the Conservatives, I will lay out what they have for small businesses in general. They are looking to keep the liberal small business wage and rent subsidies in place, and they say they'll keep it in place, quote, until small businesses are able to fully reopen, end quote. They also want to help small businesses get people back to work by putting in place long-term hiring bonuses to help pay for the employer portion of EI and CPP for new or rehired workers. They also say that as more and more small businesses rely on credit card and virtual transactions, They'll put an end to gouging by capping high credit card merchant fees at a max of 1%. And finally, they say that their PharmaCare plan will also save businesses approximately $600 per employee with extended health benefits every year. As I pointed out before, unfortunately, the green platform has yet to be released. So first obvious question, 
does it matter that there are no black specific supports from the other parties apart from the liberal platform? Yes, uh, most most <laughs> definitely. It, it does matter, right? It, it, it matters a lot, especially knowing kind of the historical context and what the experience has been for the Black community across Canada. I think it's, you know, it's, and, and then especially when it comes to the Black entrepreneurship community. And we know that when Black businesses are thriving, that also helps support the Canadian economy as well. Um, and so to see that specific parties don't have a specific mandate um, or policies in place, budget in place specifically for the Black community, is concerning. Um, so that's why I must, you know, I must commend the, you know, the the Liberal Party on, on some of the items that they've, they've listed in terms of some of their policies, but it does matter. It's, it's important to understand the specific nuances and unique challenges that are presented by and experienced by the Black community. And I think it's, it's a responsible, you know, element for these entities and these uh, different political parties to recognize that. I don't know. It's almost as if the other parties over the past year have not been paying attention to what happened since George Floyd. Patience, what do you think? Uh, why, why do you think that these other parties did not include these elements for Black Canadians? Honestly, I think they're looking at the numbers. I think they're looking mm-hmm. at the, the the size of the Black population across the country, and they're mm-hmm. betting that they can ignore this portion of the population and mm-hmm. still get into office. I, I think the Liberals are the only ones that, that are kind of shooting for a majority here. I think the other parties would be happy with a minority government. So they're just mm-hmm. like, uh, yo, I don't care, fam. I don't care yeah. about these people. <laughs> Yo, like yeah. I, I, I'm just gonna, you know, try to appeal to um, the, the the common denominator and and ignore the black the black population. But we know that this is not gonna bode very well for them. I mean, particularly if if we're paying attention, which listeners to the drip definitely are. But if we get more people to pay attention to the fact that we're being ignored in this respect, mm-hmm. uh, then yeah, this is not gonna bode well for them. Well, this might be an obvious question, but considering the different plans laid out, uh. Which programs sound the most appealing to you and why? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I think two two key ones really stand out to me. I mean, one of them being the black the you know, the first black business loan program, right? Whereby mm-hmm. black entrepreneurs are able to secure up to two hundred and fifty thousand um in loans. Uh, but what's unique mm-hmm. about that specific program that I know is that the approach is a very holistic underwriting approach, right? Um, And so Mm. the importance of that is by the fact that they recognize some of the challenges that Black entrepreneurs were facing with private, um, you know, financial institutions, you know, not getting these loans, right? And then for for different reasons, but so I think that one really stands out because with that injection of capital, um, although being a loan, it really can help propel some of these black companies to be at the level that they that they need to be and especially through this timing of the great resignation as well we're seeing a huge mm-hmm. right transition of, of people not looking necessarily to go back to work but to start a new company and a business and i think a program like that is can can really be a huge um game changer especially especially down the line um and then the other program is specifically the one with the black foundation with mm-hmm. you know black foundation for black communities Again, I think that one, what's unique about it and and telling that, you know, there is kind of this listening to the community is the fact that it would be administered by a trusted organization within the or, within the community, right? right, um, right. We know, you know, Foundation for Black Communities is a great team over there. Um, and so the fact that they would be kind of in that position to support, you know, other smaller organizations, I think is, is great as well, that it would be managed by us, right? Like, 
by us for mm-hmm. us type thing. So th- those two really stand out to me. It's it's, it's really important to know because I, I I appreciate based on conversations I've been having with numerous folks in the community of, of, of different demographics. Um, that there is a misunderstanding of what the endowment fund is meant to do. It is literally an injection of capital given from the federal government, two thirds from the federal government, one third from the private sector, that is meant to be housed within the foundation for black communities, within the black community to be dispersed in perpetuity. So we should not have to be going to the government as much in the future. This is a fund that's supposed to grow regardless of government, regardless of anything else, for us as a black community to tap into. That's right. And we risk losing it if the conservatives are elected. Patience, what did you think? I'm most surprised by the fact that the NDP is not like really tapping into this. I think I think maybe listeners know that I kind of straddle liberal and NDP and, and green policies and platforms. And I'm giving the green the benefit of the doubt that there will be something in there for um, black business owners or small business owners. But obviously, I prefer the, the liberal plan because it's, it's the most comprehensive, obviously. But I, I just want to like publicly express my disappointment in the NDP platform because I thought this was also going to be on their radar. And it reminds me of of when Minister Hussein and MP Marcy Ian were here and they said that often the NDP uh, slows down like, you know, their, their pushes for certain policies. And this might be a bit of a signal that, you know, the NDP isn't on the same page when it comes to, you know, supporting the, these businesses. And yeah, so mm-hmm. definitely prefer the, the, the liberal plan, but really curious about what the hell is going on with the NDP. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll find out by uh, taking a look at the other planks. Uh, So jumping to housing, I'll first note this. It's really important uh, to appreciate that average rents rose in every single province last year. And 1.6 million families in this country are spending more than 30% of their income on housing alone. Canada also has the fastest growing home prices in all the G7 countries, and that trend is only increasing. Of course, the flip side to that problem is that many who own property, including in our community, are experiencing equity boosts. Anyway, here's what the parties are saying they'll do to fix the housing crisis. So this time I'll start with the NDP plan. For renters, they say they'll build 500,000 affordable housing units over 10 years, and half of those units will be completed within the first five. They'll also waive HST on the construction of affordable housing units to spur growth. Good options. Uh, For those trying to buy, they'll support you by bringing in 30-year mortgages through the CMHC to help buyers get into the market with lower monthly payments. Um, Just to put into perspective on the other end of the spectrum, and I think I... I think I actually did note this, but I'll say it anyway. The conservatives are looking to bring in seven to 10 year mortgages because, you know, people have that kind of money. Um, Yo, what? Like, I didn't even know that. What? Like they want to bring it in as a, another option for those who are rich. So it's not like it's going to impact people, but like that's who they're thinking of. What? Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, like the liberals, they'll also, that's this is the NDP, like the liberals, they'll also double the home buyer's credit to $1,500. And they're also saying that they'll use a 20% one-time tax on non-Canadians and non-permanent residents to help curb foreign speculation. Uh, I will jump to the conservative plan now. For renters, they've got absolutely nothing. Well, okay, so I'll break it down. They have nothing specific. 
The Conservative Party, they say they'll incentivize the building of affordable housing by extending the ability of property owners to defer capital gains tax when selling a rental property and reinvesting that money in rental housing. They also want to use community land trusts for affordable housing by creating an incentive for corporations and private landowners to donate property to land trusts for the development of affordable housing. So no immediate help for those who need it. For those trying to buy, though, they say they want to inject more supply to the market by building 1 million homes over three years. So that's by 2025. They also say they'll sell off at least 15% of federal land to do it. I don't know why they're so preoccupied with selling off federal assets, but okay. Like the liberals, they'll also increase the limit on eligibility for mortgage insurance and index it to home price inflation. They'll also ban foreign buyers for two years minimum and instead direct foreign corporations to invest in affordable housing. And finally, the Liberal plan. Their budget 2021 built on their 10-year already established housing strategy, adding another $2.5 billion to create 35,000 affordable housing units. $1.5 billion of that money will be for rapid initiatives as a result of COVID and looking for shovel-ready projects like what our friend Councillor Ariel Kayabaga has helped oversee in London. They also say they'll introduce a new rent-to-own program to help make it easier for renters to own a home. That program will be designed based on three principles. One, the landlord would have to commit to charging a renter a lower-than-market rate to help him or her build up savings for a down payment. Two, the landlord must commit to ownership in a five-year term or less. And three, proper safeguards will be in place to protect the future homeowner as well. They also say they'll create a stream for current renters and landlords, particularly in condos, to immediately enter into a rent-to-own agreement. So I don't know how it's going to work for people who live in basements, but, you know, there's something for condos. They'll also commit $1 billion in loans and grants to develop and scale rent-to-own projects with private, not-for-profit, and co-op partners. For those who are looking to buy homes, they say they'll build 1.4 million homes by 2025-2026. They'll double the first-time home buyer's tax credit, like the NDP said, uh, which will put one, uh, $1,500 back in home buyer's pockets. To help reduce mortgage costs, they'll reduce the price of charged by CMHC on mortgage insurance by 25%. That'll give a typical home buyer $6,100. They'll also increase the insured mortgage cutoff from $1 million to $1.25 million and index it to inflation to better reflect today's home prices, like the conservatives are saying they do. To finance the plan, though, they'll increase taxes on banks and insurance companies, which did very very, very well this year. The increased taxes on those entities from 15 to 18%. They'll also bring in an annual 1% annual tax nationwide on foreign buyers to keep the party going and to profit off of it, of course. And finally, they propose a new tax targeting, quote, underused housing, which they'll work with cities to implement, but no, te- no details on that just yet. So that is the overall housing plan. I think it's pretty clear to note that the liberals have a more comprehensive one. If we were a renter, what plan would appeal most to you right now? And if you were looking to buy a home right now, what plan would appeal most to you in that regard as well? Yeah, um, I think <laughs> it's a tough, you know what I must I will I must say this when it does come to the housing, I, I do I do think it's great to see how each party really has kind of, you know, designed these unique strategies around it. I, I will say mm-hmm. that we all are really using a different approach. Um, but I think as a renter. I think that would be probably from the NDP and from the Liberal Party's policies. And so, for instance, you know, 
I think the Liberal Party's program from a renter's perspective is definitely more appealing just because of the different options that are available through what they're proposing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so from having the additional homes that are going to be built, um, you know, the rent-to-own opportunity, I think is also a great program for folks looking to enter the market. I don't know what that's going to look like for the actual owners, right. um, the actual landlords. So I think I would love to see a little bit more details around what are some of those in- incentives for actual owners as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for that. But I think with the NDP, I think two things, right? So making sure extending that amortization to 30 years um, is actually a really, I think is a great thing. And I say that because we know that Canadians generally do have there's a cash flow issue, right, in terms of finances when it comes to, to, to the Canadian population. And so having that 30-year amortization does ensure that you do have lower uh, monthly payments. And it also allows you to enter that mortgage um, market in easier, right? It's much more easier to be able to enter that. So I think from that standpoint, um, that could be something appealing um, for, you know, maybe more so for, for, for a buyer. But as a renter, I think the Liberals program, the rent to own, really positions renters in a position to be able to buy. Because we know, especially for millennials, um, that's currently some of the main issues that many of us are facing is how can we really enter this real estate market that seems just completely unrealistic. And so I think that type Mm -hmm. of program is, is enticing, but I do think, you know, rent to own is, is a great plan. I just would also encourage, you know, folks to really just also consider doing that necessary financial budgeting because it still has to be a sustainable, it needs to be a sustainable approach. And I think rent to own gives, gives folks the opportunity to really see what those monthly expenses truly look like when you actually own a property. What about you guys? Like Christelle, I think I appreciate both the NDP and the liberal plans, but I think actually the opposite. I I like that the NDP is focusing on the supply of, of affordable housing uh, because mm-hmm. we, we've had such an issue with supply. Like sure. I know people who have been on wait lists for years um, because mm-hmm. they, they needed, you know, a, a unit that, that was RGI rent geared to income and haven't been mm-hmm. able to get that. So really focusing on the supply. But then I remember what you said, Curtis, that the, the NDP's plan has not been costed out because if the liberal plan is 35,000 affordable housing units, fam, how are you going to pay for 500,000? Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. I, I think it's a fair question. Yeah, like, it is. Th- that- that's a lot. Like that's like an incredible amount. So um, I, I I wonder like what when, when it's costed out, what that will look like in terms of you know are you going to have to raise taxes substantially? How are you really going to pay for this? And I, I really love a rent to own program. You raise the issue of you know how how does that work for people who live in basements? It probably doesn't work for people who live in basements. You probably have mm-hmm. to live in uh, you know condo building or, or in an apartment where. Um, you know, there's an owner who's willing to to do this with you, but mm-hmm. I do think we have enough supply for that, though, Curtis. I, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I, I see towers, I see cranes everywhere, I see towers going up constantly. I think we have enough supply in the market um, that folks who live in basements who want to own can simply move into um, an apartment building or a condo building where they can uh, work out that that kind of an agreement with their landlord. Yeah, to your point, I mean, I remember uh, a, a paper came out, I, if not earlier this year than it was last year, it was definitely during the pandemic, pointing to the fact that in Toronto alone, 
there's something like 25,000 units that are just not being utilized. (laughs) So whether or not the 25,000 units is enough, the reality is that's a lot. And so it could, it could go a long way. So yeah, there probably is a way to ensure that more people have access to a sort of rent to own program through using condos and things of that nature. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic, ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget. Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. To add a little color to this conversation, I looked into the PPC, the People's Party of Canada's platform, did you? Yeah. Okay. And on uh, housing, they, they, they had some uh, they had some really interesting ideas. What well, tell me? Tell us. Well, yes. the, the PPC says that, quote, over the past decades, the federal government has spent billions of dollars and created various bureaucratic programs to presumably make housing more affordable with no results. With no results. <laughs> they they go on to say, quote, it has manipulated the financial criteria to qualify for mortgages and mortgage insurance and provided tax breaks to first-time buyers and funded social housing. They don't like any of these things, right? They they consider all of the the, the programs to help people um, get into homes to be manipulation. But what is their solution? That's right. What is their solution? <laughs> Reduce immigration. That's it. That's it. What? That's it. Reduce immigration because all the immigrants want to live in Toronto and Vancouver. That will right. magically, you know, solve the problem. Solve the problem. Yeah. Fix the thing. Thank yeah, you, I'm... Bernier. <laughs> oh yeah, God. man. Um, you know, I, I yeah. wanted to. <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing that color. That really was colorful. And, 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 <laughs> um, I, I, wanted, I wanted to make a comment on the NDP's housing plan because patients, you make a really good point that they, they really are focusing on the, you know, improving supply for those who are renting and it's needed. It definitely is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also point out that, you know, there, there is a question of cost. I'm, I'm maybe going to speak for myself here. I, in no way, shape or form, am I insinuating that, um, uh, what the NDP is proposing is undoable. Quite frankly, it is. It is doable full stop, right? If we have the will, we can do it. But what I know about Canadian people, mm-hmm. what I know about our, our citizenry, is that we are a centrist population. And the way that it manifests is that we don't necessarily want too much things on the left. We don't necessarily want too much things on the right. Right now, we are open to things like childcare. We're open to it. We're finally open to it, Right. And we know how much money that is going to cost. We have the NDP, by the way, saying that they would uh, maintain that liberal child care plan if they were to form government. I bring this up to say they want to pay for the child care plan, which we know is extremely expensive. And we know that people are very actually worried about in terms of the cost. And the NDP also wants to put 
PharmaCare on top of that. They also want to build 500,000 affordable housing units. You know what I mean? It's like, I know a lot of people are wondering where does it end? And so I just wanted to make that connection for people. Uh, Did I make sense just now? Yep. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Jump into childcare. We'll start with the liberal plan this time. The liberals already offer the Canada child care benefit, which parents know and love. And that has already lifted 435,000 kids out of poverty since 2015. That's not hyperbole. That's fact. Plus, they've already signed agreements with eight provinces and territories to cut child care fees in half by next year and lower fees to an average of $10 per day in five years or less, like what exists in Quebec today. They say they'll move forward with that plan if reelected. And as Patience said last week, Patience, what did you say last week? Oh, it's a beautiful plan. Is that what I said? A beautiful <laughs> plan. <laughs> to put into perspective as well, uh, in Toronto, childcare can cost more than $22,000 a year. Um, the Liberal plan would cut literally half of that. So put $12,000 back into your pocket next year if you're a parent and, and currently using childcare programs. And would put almost $20,000 back in your pocket when the plan is fully online by 2026. There's bare money to be saved there. In the process, they'll also create 250,000 new childcare spaces outside Quebec by hiring 40,000 new early childhood educators. And they'll keep funding the program as our population grows too. We talked about this with Minister Hussein and MP Marcy Ian last week. So please go check that episode out if you need more details. Jumping to the conservative plan, they will not implement the liberal child care plan, first of all. They say instead what they'll do is they'll convert the child care expense deduction into a refundable tax credit to cover up to 75% of the cost of child care for families who can afford to pay $22,000 in child care upfront. A family with $30,000 in income today can claim a maximum of $1,200. If they're elected, they say a conservative plan would save that family making $30,000 a year, $6,000. And a family making $120,000 a year in annual income today can claim $1,640. If the conservatives are elected, that family would now be able to claim $4,560. So they've set it up so that it looks at first glance like the less money you make the more money you'll receive in support for childcare. but the reality is that if you're a working class person you don't if you're making thirty thousand dollars a year you, you obviously don't have twenty two thousand dollars a year to give up for childcare. <laughs> so you can't make use of this plan it also does nothing to boost childcare spaces jumping to the ndp plan well the ndp say that they'll just implement the liberal child care plan and finally Of course, the Greens have not released their platform. So what do we think of what the parties are offering for the masses through their plans? I'm happy to start because (laughs) as someone who's originally from Montreal and Quebec, I remember when I moved. Yes, you can give us the the down low, the scoop. (laughs) Right? So I remember when I moved to Toronto and and saw the kind of the prices for childcare, I I couldn't believe what people have to pay here um, for it, right? And so I think sometimes in Quebec, it's almost you almost kind of like take it for granted because it is so affordable and it really allows people to, you know, have childcare that's necessary, especially for working, for working families. And so I think in looking at, you know, at all these, the the different platforms, I mean, clearly 
again, the Liberals kind of being a lot more comprehensive in their approach, but also the fact that this would now be, I, I know that, you know, they've officially signed these agreements with the eight different provinces. So I think this would kind of allow for a much more national approach when it comes to this and really allow folks, again, because we know the financial reality that Canadians are facing, this plan allows for Canadians to have more you know, uh, flexible income, disposable income as well um, for, for their month to month uh, expenses. Um, and sometimes when I when I really like critically analyze the conservative approach, again, like it kind of it really benefits, you know, people who are closer to that one percent, one percent, right, of, of the Canadian population, which is which is not the majority, right? So it, it really is, it's not really comprehensive of the full scope of, of our population. And so I think having this affordable childcare can really change families' lives drastically. It's actually really interesting when you, when you, when you take a look at why the conservatives maintain this position. It actually has roots in religion <laughs> um, mm. because they more so believe, and look, I, you know, I grew up in the church, patients grew up in the church. Christelle? Me too. <laughs> me too. So, you know, it is yeah. what it is. Um, but they they do not like the idea of a state-run childcare program because they believe that parents should have the right to teach to their kids what they want, including religion, right? So what the argument that they make, and there's a there's a chief organization in Canada that speaks on childcare from a conservative perspective. They're called Cardis. Mm-hmm. And what they always say is that, well, we want to have choice. We want to have choice. We want to have choice. Well, yeah, creating hundreds of thousands of childcare spaces and giving people you know, money so that they can actually make use of childcare. That gives people choice. Right. But uh, they have a different perspective as I just laid out. Right. Right. Yo fam, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, (laughs) to replace, to replace your population, like, like steadily, right. We know this, any stat can tell you to replace your population, you need a birth rate of Mm 2.1. Anybody want to guess what Canada's birth rate is? (laughs) 1.2. So fam, like it's one point, it's actually 1.5 according to the, but you know what I mean? Like we're not, if, if you don't fix this childcare issue, people are just straight up not going to do it. Yeah. Like, why would I do that? Right. Mm-hmm. Why would I give up $22,000 Yeah. just so that my child, so, so I can go to work, mm-hmm. you know, like what? Yeah. Fam. So people are just not going to have kids. And, you know, and, and we can see this from the, from the millennial population right now. Yeah. People are either not having kids or they're putting it off until they can afford That's it right. because they don't have the 22000 exactly. That's literally Tamika and I. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So then the conservatives, like, it's like, are you, like, you're not understanding, like, th- that there are another set of consequences to acting stupid. Like, <laughs> literally. And not everyone can afford a nanny, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that has its own kind of in my opinion, some really weird ethical issues when you, you know, are really Morally, pushing yes. this. Yeah. All, yeah. all these sponsorship programs of getting nannies from different countries and, you know, kind of re-domesticate anyway. Mm-hmm. So like we, we need to fix this birth rate issue and nobody really, other than the liberals and the NDP, nobody really seems to see this as uh, an issue, but it, it is right. You're, we, we can't have families. We can't, we literally cannot afford to have families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also it's like, and Curtis, to your point, you know, what you kind of elaborated on in terms of the Curtis group around, you know, them having the choice or mm-hmm. whatever is being taught as these, at these after school programs, then it's like, 
we'll maybe explore funneling funding to specific, you know, to help some of these daycares and childcare for them to be able to offer much more, you know, diverse programming or services as well right. to be able to cater to, to everyone, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's clear that it's a need. And so to reject it completely is just mind boggling to me. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> Jump into justice reform. I think it's really important to first note that, again, since George Floyd's murder, we've had an outcry of, actually, it started before then, but obviously it's been accelerated, massively accelerated since George Floyd's murder in the United States and other incidents such as uh, Regis Korchinski Paquette here in Toronto. And so that's the context. And so we have the parties putting in front of us plans that reflect what we have been saying since that point, since George Floyd's murder in particular. With that context, let's jump in. The liberals, we discussed this issue and and what an elected or a re-elected liberal government would do uh, through a Bill C-22. So Bill C-22, it includes repealing 20 mandatory minimums. And again, Minister Hussein and MP Marcy Ian both spoke about this last week. Give it a listen. I also want to point out, though, that it's because of our question on mandatory minimums. Patience, you and I spoke about this the other day. It's because of our question on mandatory minimums that the liberals committed to implementing Bill uh, C-22 within the first 100 days of re-elected. Come on. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) You should drop bombs right here. Bomb, bomb, bomb. So here we have the Liberal Party that is willing to make some changes, some critical changes to reflect the disparities that exist for Black Canadians and Indigenous Canadians in the criminal justice system. From the Conservative Party, this is the party that enacted mandatory minimums in the first place. If you look at their platform, pages 44 to 48 will tell you of the mandatory minimums that they want to enact, not repeal. They want to bring more in. For further perspective in response to Bill 22, which is being championed by the Black community, by the way. One of the conservative MPs, her name is Shannon Stubbs, equated it to, quote, the government turning its back on crime victims. Mm. The NDP plan, well, they also support Bill C-22, which would repeal 20 mandatory minimums. They'd actually go a step further by ensuring that um, all drugs are removed from the criminal code as well. They would also proactively expunge criminal records for those convicted of minor cannabis possession, which, by the way, is something the liberals are dragging their heels on. So that's actually one level where they have something particularly for the black community. Which plan <laughs> gives you the most visceral reaction, whether good or bad? Oof. Um, okay. <laughs> Happy to jump in here. Um, I, I think from... Great reaction, I think, honestly, with what the NDP is proposing, um, specifically around, you know, fully expunging criminal codes for anyone related to, you know, minor cannabis possessions or even drug related is, is powerful, mm-hmm. um, specifically because we know that, you know, any offense that's specifically around addictions and things of that nature, those people need help, right? And Mm -hmm. they don't need to be in actual prisons. And so I think the liberal and the NDP approach really decriminalizes, you know, mental health related crimes and also any addiction driven type of uh, bills, right? Um, And so I think that uh, that specific, you know, perspective on it um, and policy towards it is is a major game changer. And, and especially around cannabis possession. I mean, let's be real. We know that this, you know, tr- impacts the Black black and Indigenous community the most um, in terms of, 
people who are actually, you know, incarcerated for that. Um, but when it came to the conservative, I, you know, in terms of really reading through some of their specific policies um, around justice reform, I think one of them that really stood out to me that was slightly alarming was some of their policies around um, the, what they want to change to be able to actually, um, what's the word? to really be able to criminalize um, gang-affiliated crimes, right? Mm. And so we know that organized crime is bad. We know that it's a negative thing, but they're trying to make it much more easier to, to be able to label someone as being gang-affiliated. And right. we know that oftentimes that affects a lot of the young Black men in our community. And so the fact that there's these specific policies to make it easier to label and to criminalize um, people to be gang affiliated, what does that mean and what does that look like, right, down the line? So that- Stop and frisk all over again. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so that is extremely alarming to me because that specific type of language that, you know, that they're utilizing is is concerning because it, it, allow, it gives room for a lot of gaps and interpretation. I mean, you know, what does it actually mean? Is it by association? Is it by just, you know, pictures on social media, you know, it's like, it really needs to be much more defined. And it, I, that was really um, concerning for me, especially for what it means for young black and brown um, kids around Canada, who we know are disproportionately criminalized in jails for, for these types of crimes. You know, Christelle, you, you bring up an excellent point because for example, patients and I spoke about um, the two employees, the two young black employees at Metrolinx, uh, yes. numerous times over the past year. Mm. And and I, I think it's important to point out that, you know, Christelle, you, you made a great point about, you know, people who may have run into the law because of whatever issues they may have had. But we're not only talking about those, about people like that. We're talking about people who have done everything right, but they may yeah. be connected mm-hmm. to people in their family who may have had trouble. And, and, right. and as a result, they cannot progress in their life just as those two employees at Metrolinx have experienced so it's a very serious problem and it's something that can affect many people not just black people many people of color uh, but mm-hmm. in particularly us, and uh, yep. and that's why we take it so seriously. Fam, when yeah. you're talking about which which of the the programs or the platforms gives me the most visceral reaction, can we talk again about the PPC? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's because, technically there's yeah, much, like, there's always I get I get what we're saying about <laughs> Shannon Stubbs, but at least Shannon Stubbs, like yo, I I I understand how you're you're misunderstanding what we're talking about okay because shannon doesn't seem to be like shannon is saying you know it, it turns their it turns her back on crime victims but there's no violent crimes that are covered with bill c22 like so so th- that's just you just don't get it conservatives which is fine but the ppc <laughs> like turns entirely the other way they don't even mention bill c22 and you know what they want to do is they want to open back up all of the arms legislation that Trudeau just passed. So they they, they say, quote, the use of firearms has always been a part of Canadian tradition and culture. However, despite this group being exceptionally law abiding (laughs) (laughs) and the most highly vetted segment in the Canadian population, the existing firearms legislation unfairly targets them. Oh my gosh. And does not respect their property rights and is highly arbitrary. So, um, 
The pe- I can't. Honestly, honestly, <laughs> their beef apparently is is with the way that the legislation is written, that it, it, it focuses more on the appearance of guns than the function of guns. But honestly, my prob- my, my only issue is, did you ban the guns or not? We could, we could use less guns on the street. So that's the justice reform that they want. They, they want to open back up all that arms legislation. And there, there we are for justice reform. <laughs> There's my visceral reaction to justice reform. Crazy. Crazy. 2021. And this is, this is, this is where we are. From a this national party, are. right? A mm-hmm. national party with 4% of the, the, the vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, to our listeners at home, you know, we've done a lot of work of analyzing each of these platforms for you. We've had some fun doing that today. Um, but still, we highly recommend you check each of the platforms out for yourself. Uh, we've actually included the links to each platform from liberals, NDP, conservatives. Uh, and we also included uh, a link to 338 Canada for good measure. Check it out. What's good, everyone? We hope you enjoyed part one of episode 67, where Patience, Black Chamber of Commerce President Christophe Francois, and I broke down what the Liberal, Conservative, and NDP plans are offering us in the key areas of Black business supports, housing, childcare, and justice reform in election 44. Be sure to listen to part two, where Patience leads the discussion on Blackity Black Black and world issues. Also, if you didn't know, we launched the Afro-Canadian Political Literacy Foundation on August 16th. Our mission is to improve political literacy among Black and allied millennials and to advocate for policy that reflects our socioeconomic needs, and we'll be using numerous tools to do it, including this podcast. Check us out at acplf.org and sign up for our newsletter so we can keep you informed. As always, thanks for listening. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 